0: these things and Why are they here? You still don't get it, do you, boy? They have recruited the rich and the powerful. They're running the whole show. Wake up! They're all about you, all
1: around you. Blast. Blinded us to the truth. Take a look. They are safe as long as they are not discovered. I don't know what they are or where they came from, but we oh. gotta stop them. Stay away from me. Put these on. They have us. Look at them. They're everywhere. Our, uh, We have no other choice. I don't like this one bit. Leave it alone, man. It ain't none of my business. Ain't none of yours. We have been lulled into a trap. Listen to what I say to you. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. Control us! You're sending some kind of signals out of TV sets. I've
0: got one that can
1: see. Mama don't like tattletales. Now we start spilling some blood. Let's go! Push button. (laughs) I have come here to chew bubble gum and kick it. and I'm all out of bubble gum to the Film and Water podcast, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and joining us this week is from the Waiting for Doom podcast, all the way on the other side of the world from Australia, Paul Hicks. Paul, welcome to the show.
0: Oh, thanks for having me, Rob. Finally, finally long time coming.
1: It's been a long time coming. We talked about this a while ago. Now, of course, said you're you're in Australia, which means you're 14 hours ahead. So you're in the far-flung future. So can yes. you share with us any technological advancements that the Earth has made in, t- in this time? Is there anything like, is there rocket cars? Is, is, is Has Trump been impeached yet? Is there any good news that you can share with us from the future?
0: Um, I can safely say that politically, it, it just gets worse and worse. <laughs>
1: okay. I'm so, ask a stupid question. So, uh, okay. Speaking of uh, things getting worse and worse... Uh, we're here to talk about "They Live," 1988 uh, sci-fi horror film by the great, the great, the great John Carpenter. Uh, for some reason, I don't think I haven't covered too many John Carpenter movies to this point, which is a shame because I love the guy. Uh, and this comes—this uh, movie comes at a, a tail end of an extraordinary decade for for this uh, direct writer director. But before we get to all that, like Paul, like, like why do you want to talk about
0: this one? Why, why "They Live"? Um, it's a film that it stays with you, like it just. Hovers in your subconscious for forever, really. Um, you know, there's the imagery in this you just don't forget. Um, the plot, you, you, the plot is fairly forgettable, but the whole, the metaphor of it is so strong. And uh, you know, times change, politics change, you know, the world changes, but this one just keeps coming back to relevance over and over again. I think. Do you feel that way?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. I mean, it, it has the the creepy hook of That there is another world just underneath the one that you're seeing, uh, that is so powerful. Uh, that, even though this film has a lot of limitations to it, its budget obviously is very low key, and we'll, we can talk about some other carpenter films in, in comparison but i mean this is this was, looks like it was really done on a on a shoestring I mean it reuses props from other movies for pete's sake. but the just the idea of that there are people wandering around daily life in the supermarkets and in your, on your television set and in your bars. And and there's all these messages that you're being fed without you knowing it. And all it takes is a pair of sunglasses to see what's really going on. It's just so powerful. And, you know, of course, it's based on a, a short story called 8 O'Clock in the Morning by Ray Nelson. And I've never read the story. I've only basically heard about it where it's the whole idea is that it's a hypnotist that does it to this guy that wakes him up. And, and it's, a, it said it's a short story, so I, I don't know the full details of it. But Carpenter, who wrote the screenplay really brings it to life, just the notion of these ghouls that you see. And that part is, it is such a great hook that you really can't ever forget it. And seeing the people like whispering into their little walkie-talkie phones when they when they, <laughs> when they they know that you're onto them is just really creepy.
0: Yeah, no, there's so many good things about it. And um, Carpenter wrote it under a pseudonym, Frank Armitage. And right. he said that part of the reason for this was he was sick of seeing his name plastered over right. everything. Because so, <laughs> right. he... You know, he writes, he directs, he does the music. <laughs> so there's, yeah, he's a, he seems a quite a humble man, actually.
1: Yeah, he's a really interesting guy. I mean, he said, if you look at his his '80s output, uh, this, he had an extraordinary decade. I mean, he started he started the 1980s with The Fog, then he moved on to Escape from New York, then The Thing, Christine, Starman, Big Trouble in Little China, Prince of Darkness, and then he rounded out the decade with They Live. I mean. That is an extraordinary run of great films. Some a little greater than I mean, I think The Thing is a stone cold classic. And it's funny when you look at it, it's like as great as these films are, he had a really rough decade as a, you know, commercially, because almost all the films I just listed were not hits. None. They were only movies that became successful down the line big trouble little china was a big flop the thing was a big flop starman i think was relatively well received but no no great shakes same thing with christine or the fog and they live was was number one at the box office i think when it came out and then it sank immediately right after that but i mean you look at it and you're like my god the, the the audiences of the 1980s did not treat john carpenter very well and yet he's making one great movie after the next and i guess that you know, this movie is certainly his most political. He's generally not a political filmmaker, but this one is aimed right at the heart of Reaganomics. Yeah. And, you know, I guess in 1988, people didn't really want to hear that. I mean, we were about to uh, elect George Bush, the senior, which means we wanted to continue on with that life. And then people, I guess, didn't just didn't want to hear that message that Reaganomics was this – sort of terrible nasty thing and uh, so it was kind of like yeah no sorry john we're not interested in this message i mean for god's sake there's a, we have a we have a character in this movie that says it's new morning in america i mean he's cribbing ronald reagan's catchphrase right there right in the right in the movie
0: yeah i listened to the director's commentary and it's like the first thing john carpenter says is he wrote this in response to um, reagan's presidency and the way things were changing uh for the worse
1: I mean, it's it's where the movie is set in some sort of indeterminate future date where things have pretty much collapsed. Uh, there are still police uh, that that manage to control things, and there are cities, but it seems like in between the cities, it's just dead zones. And you know, Roddy, of course, Roddy Roddy Piper is our main character. John Nada uh, is his name. <laughs> and he's just sort of, you know, very subtle. And he's just sort of wandering around looking for a job, and, and things are just really, really desolate. And he meets a uh, – he tries to get a job, and he talks about uh, the the, the, um, the employment lady and says, well, there's nothing for you. And he, he mentions briefly about that he worked somewhere else, and then basically everything all dried up. And then he gets a job doing construction. Now, I love the uh, the foreman is played by Norman Alden, the voice of Aquaman. From the 70s Super Friends cartoons. I'm always oh, happy. I'm surprised always, you know that. <laughs> always happy to see Norman. Thank you for the sarcasm. Always appreciate, always uh, happy to see Norman Alden uh, show up in a movie. So, I mean, but it's, you know, they never really tell you what's gone on as, as the movie opens. It's just, things are just really bad. And he wanders his way over to this church. And I love the idea that the salvation, that the sort of uh, resistance, if, if you will, uh, operates inside of a church. Uh, which yep. is, I am assuming, is Carpenter's ironic car- car- commentary, because of course it was the moral majority that Ronald Reagan invited into the Republican tent in 1980, which which allowed him to help win. And yet, it's a church that is the beginning stages of the opposition in this particular story.
0: Yeah, and you've got the beautiful metaphor of the the blind man who's the preacher, who can he's the one who knows and can see, and everyone else is blind.
1: Right, Raymond Saint Jacques as the as the street preacher. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and he's. Got, I mean, there are there are all these sort of ominous warnings going on about being able to see what you know what's really going on, and he's you know we don't know what we don't know what any of this means until it's, until finally uh, he stumbles upon the box of sunglasses and starts seeing what's going on, and it's again it's a wonderfully creepy effect. I love that they just look the the, the ghouls as he calls them. They look kind of cartoonish in a way, but they don't, I don't know, like, they look, they look sort of plausible to me. They look clumsy, and I sort of like that. I like the idea that these aliens are not necessarily, like, if you look at the, um, the short story was adapted, actually, into a comic book uh, by Eclipse Comics in their series Alien Alien Encounters in the mid-80s, and it was drawn by Bill Ray, uh, the great Bill Ray, and it's very cartoony, but the aliens in that story are these many tentacled sort of mush creatures and it's you know they look like kind of like crab monsters almost and there's nothing that anybody could pull off on a on a medium budget here carpenter just basically slaps these ghoul masks these don post ghoul masks on people and then has bad wigs on them or bad hair but there's something even more creepy about seeing these horrible faces wearing you know boring 80s clothes i don't know there's something just all the more upsetting to me looking at them like
0: that yeah and the sunglasses make everything black and white which is really just a basic effect that just shows you when you're seeing which type of vision and it works really well i just love the way people are popping sunglasses on and off throughout the movie just to check everyone else around them yeah yeah as well <laughs> like it's such a neat effect and it's so simple and i mean i get the impression that john carpenter i mean he knew he wasn't going to get a big budget for this. He knew that, okay, let's work within the limitations and how, you know, let's do this as lo-fi and practical as possible and, you know, um, and that's kind of the thinking that went into it. Like, even, you know, getting Rowdy Roddy, Roddy Piper from wrestling, he wouldn't be, a you know, a huge um, drain on the budget to get, I imagine.
1: And... Yeah, originally they talked about he was thinking of getting Kurt Russell and I guess he just couldn't afford Kurt. And they moved on. No, what do you, like, I... I... I don't know about Roddy Piper. I I can't never decide. Sometimes I think, oh, he's just fine. And other times I'm thinking, maybe if they'd gotten somebody with a little more acting chops, they really could have pulled this off. I mean, what do you think about him being the star of this
0: movie? I'm in two minds. Like, I think he's a non-actor doing a pretty good job acting um, throughout. But I I also think that part of the charm of the film is you don't have a charismatic star soaking up um, the attention in the film. And – once you get a big, big name involved, then you have to do different things with the plot. Like ostensibly, there's no one bad guy in this film. Like it's, a fa- it's a class that is the bad. The villain in this. So, um, if you had a big name, you'd need to, you know, people would start interfering with the film and saying, okay, we need a a villain. Who's the villain in this? And you know, you you can't say, oh, it's, you know, it's uh, the rich (laughs) or aliens or you know, take your pick. They're the bad guys in this film. So, yeah, I kind of think he he has enough charisma to to work, you know, to be watchable, but not enough to um, steal the focus of the film. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a strange thing. It shouldn't work, but it does.
1: It's an interesting idea. I hadn't really thought of it that way. But yeah, I mean, maybe if you put a movie star in this thing, it would alter the chemistry a little. Uh, that it would be too much. Yeah, because I mean, Kurt Russell, you know, very charming, uh, eminently charming. And yeah, maybe he'd been in this, it wouldn't be as plausible. And I'm sure part of the the, the, the help of it that uh, Carter, uh, Carter, I'm sorry, Carpenter puts in is by getting Keith David as Frank, yep. uh, his sort of sidekick, and that's Keith David is, you know, a great actor, a great supporting actor. He's a, he's a sort of real ringer when you need somebody to come in, and and of course he worked with Carpenter before on The Thing, and it's like he's a nice counterpoint to Roddy Piper. You sort of those are they're plausibly friends, uh, they're yeah. just Kind of both tough guys, and I could see that maybe and there's probably some scenes where Roddy Piper can't quite pull off the emotional heft of something, and so you could get in Keith David to help sort of bring his game up a little cuz Keith David is just sort of effortless at this stuff.
0: Yeah, well, Carpenter was sending them off together and telling them to go have lunch in character and um and Pop Piper said there was just a lot of silences, but it was comfortable. Interesting. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, and they I mean they're both, you know, men, you know, they're men's men and they've, you know, they've got their thoughts to themselves, they're not, uh, you know, overly emotional or anything. So, yeah, yeah. Once again, it's a it's a good choice having that solid Actor. I mean, and yeah, I mean this film is uh, notable for two things really that stick with people, and that's uh, Piper's line in the bank, which we can come back to. Right. The other thing is the fight in the alley. Oh, over... the fight! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean in one way it's kind of like it's a white man trying to tell a black man what's wrong with society. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of that before. <laughs> yeah, but on the other hand it it's it's two friends and one of them doesn't want to do something, the other one wants him to do something and you know. And it's interesting that I mean Keith David's character sticks with uh Roddy Piper more than he probably should. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean you know, by the time they get to the alley, uh Piper's um in the public view has killed lots of people. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> about this stage. anyway, I'm I'm going jumping all over the place. So, do we do we want to sort of cover the plot? More, I guess we should a logically. little
1: bit. Yeah, we can go a little forward Why don't you go ahead? Why don't you explain a little bit more the the, the, the general bones of this?
0: Okay, so uh, there's lots of people. I mean, it, you said it's a deteriorated society. I didn't really know that when I saw it in Australia because I wasn't in America and didn't really know that this isn't um, the way things are normally in <laughs> Wow, L.A. <laughs> but um, yeah, so people watch TV and, uh, you know, if you're poor and you're working, you know, it's very hard to get a break. Um, So yeah, there's this resistance in up to something in this church and there's sunglasses. And if you put on the sunglasses, basically you can see the truth of the world, which is that um, everything that's written on has actually got simple messages that say things like sleep, uh, don't question authority, obey, submit, uh, conform. (laughs) I like the one sleep eight hours. That's yeah, yeah. That's good <laughs> uh watch T V. Um and every and we see throughout these people uh the movie people sitting around just watching T V and they're just watching the most banal crap. <laughs> you know? There's nothing good on, but they're still just mesmerised by it. <laughs> Yeah, there's this, but signals keep breaking in on the TV and there's a scientist with a beard who keeps telling people, you know, this isn't real, it's all uh, a lie. And whenever those messages came in, people get a headache. Um, But it turns out this is the resistance being run out of the church and they have these sunglasses and when you wear the sunglasses, everything becomes apparent. And uh, uh, Nada gets a pair of the sunglasses and (laughs) is stunned to see what's going on. Uh, he gets reported, the cops chase him down to an alley, he wrestles with the cops and ends up uh, breaking free with a shotgun and ends up in a bank where he can see all the aliens around him, and <laughs> I think he wants to make it clear he's not robbing the bank, so he has that classic line of, I've come here today to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum.
1: <laughs> Amazing <laughs> which... line of Roddy Pipers, yeah. got to say, that is one for the ages.
0: Yeah, and... It's a little bit incongruous for the movie, I could say, but um, it's one of those things that works. Uh, and, I I mean, I've heard someone say that, you know, perhaps you could think of it as, like, he's a guy out of his depth and he thinks, what do people do in action films? They say dumb <laughs> things. <laughs> so he's getting with the program to get through this. So, anyway, he shoots a bunch of aliens, ends up uh, running away, um, then he goes to the TV station. You've got Channel 54, which is the... I, there's something up with that, isn't there? What do you mean? Oh, the the station. It's all the TV broadcasts say Channel 54 throughout the movie.
1: Oh, I didn't... Oh! Oh, jeez. I don't think I even noticed that.
0: Yeah. So, anyway, he takes a a woman hostage to get out of there, because everyone's looking for him, and goes to her house. And she's played by uh, Meg Foster. Meg Meg Foster, Foster. yep. Yeah, from, what, Twin Peaks and Cagney and Lacey and things like that?
1: Uh, Yeah, she was in the pilot for Cagney and Lacey, yes. Uh, She didn't end up doing the series. But, yes, she she of the incredibly spooky
0: eyes. Yes. And she's very... um, uh very calm, <laughs> creepily calm through all this. Anyway, uh, she lulls him into relaxing and then conks him on the head with a bottle and then shoves him through a plate glass window. Um and because this is in the uh, Hollywood Hills so he falls down a long way. Um <laughs> and then he ends up hiding under the houses. Um anyway, and that's when he goes to um his friend Keith David and says, Okay, let's I I want you to put on these sunglasses. Extensive fight. How about five minutes forty eight or something? Five minutes and 23 seconds. Wow.
1: Amazing how much of this film. For a 90 minute film five, almost six minutes is devoted to just those two guys beating the crap out of each other.
0: Yeah, and it goes through all the beats of, you know, well, this is going on a long time. This is ridiculous. And then it passes through that ridiculous barrier and becomes awesome.
1: Yep, yep, yep,
0: yep. <laughs> yeah, so by the end of it, you're you're exhausted, they're exhausted, they're laughing at each other, and then it's got the great sort of end cap where they check into a hotel together and they're just completely, you know, meat faced <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, anyway, they hook up back with the underground and realise that the signals need to be disrupted and they're being sent from the TV station uh, where Meg Foster works. Um, yeah, and then they... Oh, they no. The the church gets raided, and they uh, lots of people get shot dead at this point by uh, police in SWAT gear and riot gear. Um, Yeah, it's I mean it's kind of disturbing stuff, and it's very you know the sort of thing you see in the news (laughs) still to this day, sadly. But one of the things is these aliens have uh, their own technology, so they've got like uh, teleporters. So one guy in a jam can teleport out of there by twisting something on his watch. They've got. uh, watch phones that they use to talk and report things, as you said. Uh, but they also have this thing where they can make a hole in the ground <laughs> that uh, is like a teleportation hole, and uh, they end up using that to jump into this this uh, hotel or building. It's some sort of underground complex that's connected to a ballroom, and then they see that the aliens are basically—they're not. It's not a completely secret invasion because they they really are in cahoots with the rich, and the rich seem to know about them. Which right, is,
1: they're completely uh, complicit with these alien invaders. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and that's a like a brilliant little wrinkle to add, and it you know it makes you think. Okay, the aliens are pretty bad, but there are humans here who are you know basically screwing over their other humans willingly and knowingly. You know, yep. um, can you think of a better a metaphor for some you know parts of society? Unfortunately,
1: no, not right now. <laughs> I cannot.
0: Yeah, so I mean, there's people who have joined in with the aliens, but um, at this stage, uh, Frank and, and Nada are... They're sort of on the inside, and people don't know that they, they're rebels at this point. And then they end up having a big assault on the TV station to basically disrupt the signal. So there's an antenna on the roof, and they've got to blow it up. And uh, so there's lots of running gun battles, and uh, they end up on top of the building. Um, and frank is, uh, Frank's frank gone, but Nada is about to um, destroy the antenna. He gets betrayed by Meg Foster's character, Holly yeah uh, which was quite a quite a good twist at this point. you thought she was on board by this stage um and he goes down in a hail of fire, but manages to take out the antenna and this is where the film ends with um everyone suddenly being able to see the aliens. It's the first time in the movie that you see them in color <laughs> mm-hmm. so there's some reveals of i mean all the news anchors are aliens, and uh you know people in the shops are suddenly knowing oh there's a very strange looking person next to me, and people freak out and the film basically ends at this point, and you'll have to imagine everything that comes after, which I think is a good ending for it.
1: The first time I ever saw the movie, first of all, it features one of the great final scenes, I'd say, in all of movies, of just the, the taking it taking this concept to its logical extreme, that, of course, the aliens would be engaging in sexual activity with some regular <laughs> humans, and you're seeing that topless woman looking down Uh, and you know, I mean, first of all, I have to, we have to, we have to give her credit. She's probably one of the more famous (laughs) topless women in all the movies. That's I I looked her up on IMDb. Sibby Daniela is her name. She's, (laughs) She's naked lady. Uh, in this movie, she only has a couple of credits, but it's really one of the famous topple scenes in all movies, but her looking down and being shocked at seeing that she's having sex with the alien and him just for saying, Hey, what's the matter, baby? And then cutting to (laughs) credits is one of the great (laughs) smash cuts of all time. I mean, the first time I saw the movie, I think it was on cable. I didn't see it in the theaters. And I just was like, that's the end of the movie. I couldn't believe it. And then I, I admired Carpenter for having the balls. To just end the movie that way on that kind of – because, yeah, it it is one of those movies where it's like you kind of wish it would keep going because you want to see the unfolding nature of what's about to happen. But it's left to your imagination because you're like, wow, Roddy Piper just undid everything, and now it's all going to go crazy, but we're never going to get to see it, which I think is a very – it's a nice tease for for the way he structured the story. The movie is 95 minutes. It pretty much works at that length. You know, he really wouldn't want this to go on for – for two hours or whatever, but it is such a great hook the way it the way it wraps up.
0: And for such a short film, it feels like a slow build at the start. Like it's it's kind of languidly paced for the first twenty minutes, really.
1: Yeah, I agree. with that. Yeah, I mean, it's it feels aimless. Life feels aimless for our characters as they sort of meander around, and it features a lot of some of like some other stock players of carpenters, like uh, one of the the other members of the resistance is this uh, guy played by um, oh, what's his name? Uh... Uh, shoot I'm blanking Peter Jason name. Peter Jason I'm sorry yeah I mean we've seen him in a million other movies and he has the line about you know everybody sells out and some of them just did it faster than others and they have that whole so yeah I agree with that 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 whole idea that the 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 one percent essentially before that was a phrase uh the yeah. one the one percent is selling out the rest of the earth uh in, in cahoots with the aliens and it's like yeah that's a pretty powerful message you know uh it's it's funny. I used to think for the longest time that this was a movie that was really ripe for a remake, because I looked at it as it is so low budget. I don't think visually it looks all that great. I mean, a lot of Carpenter movies look beautiful. The Thing, especially mm-hmm. when he was working with Dean Cundey for this on cinematography, this this film just to me looks kind of cheap and and cruddy. And I used to think, well, you know, in the, in the wake of them remaking good movies, you know, remaking Psycho or remaking whatever, you know, classic movie. I'm like, don't, you know, don't remake a good movie. Remake a, a movie that had a great premise but maybe didn't quite get the lift off it needed. And I always thought, well, They Live would be ripe for that because, you know, I think this is such a great story but maybe not brought to the screen that well. But now that I've had a chance to rewatch it, I kind of revise that a little because I think I like – the scuzziness of it. It, mm. it it feels like Carpenter had a rough decade. He has been basically pushed out of major studio films, and it's 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 a it's a filmmaker on the back on the fringes, making a story about people on the fringes. and, yeah. and I and it, realize it probably not wouldn't work as well if it was slick and had a big star and had really you know, posh special effects.
0: Yeah, and you can't imagine a more street-level sort of um, perspective on an alien invasion than this. Like, it's literally people living on the streets.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it really, it has the, the verisimilitude. I use that word a lot because it's a great word. <laughs> I mean, it, it it has that feeling to it of just, you know, this is Carpenter scraping this together. doesn't feel anybody particularly big. I mean, I love his sort of gallows humor that Carpenter always has in his things. I mean, like when we see the uh, the newscasters as the aliens people recognize them you hear somebody say you look like shit you know like i mean it <laughs> has all that kind of like i mean he's not afraid to go for laughs uh in what is you know a pretty serious you know story i mean it's really pretty grim to see that you know these people are so involved they've been so ameliorated into our society that we're all just sort of, you know, falling asleep. I mean, I love that it's Carpenter's voice is the one doing sleep.
0: Sleep. Yeah. When
1: you hear that, like that's him, re, you know, reverbing his voice and stuff. And yeah, it really, it, like I said, I, 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 you know, if they ever remade it, I would go see it, but I almost wonder, I'm like, I can't picture a major studio remaking this and not sanding down the edges. And here it's all edges. really.
0: Well, I, I feel like if you do more with this film, you're just diluting the metaphor of it. Um, right. like, you know, like the complexity of this, you know, it's a very like security in this is very pre nine 11. Like people are wandering in and out of places. Like, you know, he stands in the bank for what a good minute holding a machine gun. for Before, yeah, before anybody
1: goes up to him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: And he gets time to do his line. Um, and you know, the TV station access, I mean, I was working in TV stations when this came out and it's, you know, that's not a very realistic way of how you get around a TV station. Um, but that, all that sort of stuff, like, the more realistic you try to make this film and the more, okay, we've got to patch all these holes and make it, you know, watertight, you're just making it more complex and you're diluting this amazing message which um, is so inherent to it. You know, like, I could see them doing this as a TV show, but, you know, 10 eps of this would just be exhausting, wouldn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, uh, I mean, – I, I... Yeah, I mean it's it's funny when I said when I when I run when the first time I watched it and when I see the character pull out the uh, the PKE meter from Ghostbusters, like I had to laugh. I'm like, oh my god, like it's because that's such a famous prop. But now I kind of love it that it shows up. It almost feels just kind of again, not to overthink this, but almost like a meta thing of like, well, this movie is so scrungy it has to steal from other bigger movies for yeah, and message across.
0: And there's shots reused, like every time you see the muzzle flash on the machine gun, you see that like ten times in the last uh, battle.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I mean in terms of the um, the teleportation part, that's the only part where I wonder. Like, is that too much? I mean, it seems silly to say, is there too much sci-fi in this movie? Because it's about an alien race that's conquering. This is a very sci-fi movie, but like the the, the notion of seeing the, the the ghouls via the glasses, right? Very simple. Mm. Very, very simple. It's just. They have these horrible faces and for some reason the glasses work and you can see the truth. I always wonder if the teleportation bit is just a little too much. Like it's a little too sci-fi-y that they can just literally disappear and reappear. It almost feels like it's stretching the, the – the, the, not the premise but just stretching the the, the the sort of low techiness of this. I don't know. Does that bother you that they can just blip like that when they touch their little Dick, 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 Dick Tracy decoder watches?
0: It doesn't especially bother me. I mean, it gives them a practical, you know, how do they end up in their base, which right. is, you know, just a logistical thing. But, I mean, they're blipping to other planets later in the film as well, like like they've got a d- departure, you know, port where everyone can leave. But it's... I don't know. It's it's not really necessary. Um, like, that's a one little detail of, oh, this is how they came here. But you don't really need to know that. Like, it doesn't mm-hmm. add anything to know that. I mean, the more you think about this film, you think, okay, they've got um, – they're in charge of all the printing in the world. <laughs> you know? Right. Like, Like there's no, you know, there's nothing that it hasn't got a message from, you know, if it's printed, it's got their message on it, you know. So you can go down that rabbit hole of thinking, okay, how they control this and this and this and this and this and this. They get all the good jobs. They've got, you know, people in all the, you know, spots and, you know, it's a good way to know why you miss out on a job at times and things, (laughs) you know. The other fun thing you could do with this is imagine who is an alien today, who's working with an alien today, you know? Mm-hmm. You, know mm-hmm. you know, who's betraying the human race and who's not part of the human race, you know? We could do this for hours, I guess, with your what's going on in your country. Actually, my country, too. I mean, I'm not very happy with our politicians either.
1: Well, it's funny. I was going to ask you about that because I think it's sort of interesting <laughs> to hear from someone you know who is seeing this from afar, and you're probably about as far away as you can get from America. Lucky, lucky you. You know, I mean, look, obviously America uh, did not invent consumerism, uh, no. but we weaponized it. And uh, yeah. and turned it into basically a virtue at this point. And you know, one of the I wonder, like, how did as a view of American culture when you saw this movie? I mean, did it seem, you know, I don't know. What was your view of America when you as how do you see America from this? film's vantage point of I it mean, does it seem like well yeah that's pretty much it's only a slightly exaggerated version of what's going on
0: well australia is sort of a i mean culturally growing up here we've got australian culture you've got a and then sort of an equal measure of american culture coming in and english culture and when i say this it's mostly what we watch on tv and things like that i think the australian sense of humor veers a bit more towards the british um as far as we're more self-depreciating and sarcastic. Um, One thing that mystifies me is the rah -rah of uh, America because you'll never get Australians waving flags and cheering unless they're, they're, you know, trying to beat people from different races. Like, no one thinks like that in Australia. Like, we don't trust the government and, you know, we're very sort of proud of our individuality, I Mm -hmm. guess. Um, There's very similar things. Like, there's so much um, in the... You know, politically, there's so much blame culture where, you know, things are like this because of immigrants and things are like this because, you know, I don't know, like people will do anything if it, you know, stops, um, you know, gay people getting their right. message out, right. you know, it right. will support any sort of corruption as, you know. Yeah. Politicalness, it's fine as long as people don't like the gays. You know, that's the sort of thing that you, is the message here um, and, it, you know, it's not subtle in some places and part of it is just because people aren't around. Like there's parts of Australia that are very, very um, white, like for want of a better word. Like I live in a country town and it's a very white place but where I work is in a major city and that's, you know, we've got people from all, you know, creeds and colours and persuasions and etc. And, you know, I think it's just being exposed to people who are different makes you uh, more accepting, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I was raised, my parents, you know, were very, you know, gay people. Are, it's wrong. It's a sin, etc. And then, you know, you get a job and you work with some heterosexuals. And I think these people are despicable the way they treat, you know, um, their relationships and you know, everyone else. And I, you know, and I'm working with a, a gay couple who are loving and committed and, you know, exemplary in their behavior. So what's that about? You know?
1: Mm, yeah. So
0: that, All this sort of stuff um, influences, I guess, my view of society, but, you know, I I guess you and I wish that other people could see things through our eyes a bit and be more accepting and, yeah. But, I mean, we do have a whole thing of, you know, people come and take our jobs and all this sort of bullshit that comes through and, you know, it's it's a license to used by the rich to get what they want or make things better for them
1: <laughs> yeah i mean one of the things i, I think about when i rewatch they live and i think about now is that i don't even think that there is there is would even be the need to be that subtle anymore to have the yeah. messages subliminally put in your magazines and it's now just explicit it's yeah. it's just now i mean you know i don't want to i don't Necessarily mean to d- devolve the show into like this far off because again we we're talking about a movie, but this movie is it for all of its cheeseball uh, enjoyment, uh, it's a it's a very political movie. Carpenter is a political guy, and he is uh, to this day uh, completely un. Uh, not repentant because that doesn't mean he, he has no reason to be repentant. He is a uh, he is a, unvarnished about his yeah. political views and he is just basically, you know, f conservatives and f this kind of, you know, controlling thought and f the idea that you should hate other people and you know what we're going through now is just there is no subtlety. There is it is just straight up. Yeah. You know, it's good to be gil- it's good to be greedy. It's good to be selfish. It's good to be, you know, withholding. And you yeah. know it 's like these are these messages these aliens are putting through secret t v messages and through secret magazines they don 't need to bother with that anymore. They just say yeah. it right up, and you have a certain amount of people that are like yeah i 'm buying into this."
0: Yeah, and, subtext has become text now.
1: Yeah, and, you know, it's funny. For all of the, the sort of weird panic we have in this country about immigrants, it is, you know, in this movie, it is, it is immigrants that are destroying the world in this case. <laughs> and it's aliens, uh, except it's here it's where it's the rich are conniving with them. And another idea I like about this movie is that, you know, so many, in so many movies where aliens take over, they want to kill everybody. You know, they, yeah. just want, they want to annihilate, which, of course, you know, once you do that, well, then what are you left with? You know, I mean, yeah. you've, 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 been, you've blown up the whole planet. All right. Now what? But I mean, this is the notion of first of all, I mean, the aliens want to strip mine the planet for its resources slowly. Uh, yeah. And in the meantime, they are going to allow the rich to live like kings as being traitors. And to me, that's, you know, pretty plausible. You know, of of how you'd be able to sell that to people of, well, look, we're going to eventually destroy Earth. It's going to take several centuries. But in the meantime, in your lifetime, you're going to live like, you know, you're you're going to be able to park your boat in your bigger boat. So work yeah. work with us and you have enough people that are doing that. And you know, this the scene near the end where they go to like that sort of it's not a fundraiser, but it looks like it looks like a political fundraiser. Yeah. It's everybody in tuxes and everybody sitting there with their 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 glasses, their champagne glasses and you know, it's uh it's pretty creepy. It's uh, you know, and, and of course, you know, it's Roddy Piper is the one who's just stumbling in and with his work shirt and everybody else and you know, but it's it's uh, like I said, it's it's not anything too far removed from what we're used to, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think the film may have been. I mean, you said it did well at first in America, and then the didn't after that. I don't think it ever got a cinema release in Australia because I was a John Carpenter fan and I was an active cinema goer, and I would have, you know, looked out for it. So I don't think I caught up with it till it was on video. Um, and when I I think I bought it. Um, in the nineties, sort of late nineties. I thought, I really like that film. I'd like to own it. And politically it didn't feel as resonant when I bought it in the nineties for some mm. reason, but now it's, it's, Oh my, it's radioactive now. And I, <laughs> I, I, I feel like it's part of a, a bit of a sci-fi trilogy, um, from this kind of period, which I would put it in with Robocop and, um, Starship Troopers, as far as these are, Sci-fi films that are really about something else, or can be seen as something else, but they're also really good.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and so it, you know the message is in the film, but it's not you know the only thing that's good about the film. So. Yeah,
1: it's it's interesting when you think about a couple of episodes ago, uh, I talked about uh, Logan's Run and about how Logan's Run is sort of the last volley of that initial run of. Sci fi for adults where it's got the sort of dystopian commentary. You've got Planet of the Apes and Soil and Green, mm. Silent Running, Logan's Run. And then right after Logan's Run is Star Wars. And it's yeah. just bang zoom, kid stuff. And you know, good Lord knows I love Star Wars. Everybody knows I love Star Wars and but then you're then like you're mentioning of Robocop. Well now, after seven, eight years of Reaganomics. And the moral majority and all that other stuff that was going on and the, the complete you know, ignoring of the AIDS crisis and all these other things, then you're getting RoboCop and you're getting mm. They Live. You're starting to get more social commentary put back into these si- – I mean RoboCop is rated R. Uh, yeah. You know, They Live, I think, is rated, I think it's PG-13, If the, yeah, I, I believe it is. I mean, uh, it's, oh, it's R. They Live is R, actually. So now you're getting back to sci-fi concepts for adults. And, yeah. you know, uh, I'm going to be very interested to see what kind of sci-fi gets developed uh, in the next couple of years in response to what yeah. we're going through now. It isn't worth it. Uh, I'd be ha- <laughs> I'd be happy to give up the movies if we can give up the the strife that's going to create them, but it's sort of interesting that you know after this after Star Wars sort of came and went, directors like Verhoeven and Carpenter were like, all right, well now we're angry again and we're going to start putting these things back into sci-fi. And it's not just for kids. I think that's an interesting sort of wave. And you look back and say, okay, yeah, this is you know I said Carpenter's pretty pissed off in this movie. I mean, again, he puts a lot of jokes in it. There's a lot of funny stuff, but he's pretty mad. He's pretty mad yeah. about the, what's going on, and you can see it in this movie.
0: There's, um, there's a huh, – if I can di- uh, digress a little bit just to talk about um, Starship Troopers, there was a very conservative Australian political party called uh, One Nation, which is basically um, the redneck racists. Okay. Um, and they were so enamored with the, the ads in Starship Troopers that they used Would You Like to Know More in their ads. Oh, boy. <laughs> and they completely missed – all the fascist subtext of it. And uh, it was hilarious, but um, disturbing.
1: <laughs> subtlety is not
0: always, uh, <laughs> those guys are not known for
1: their, their subtlety. Uh, yeah, you know, it's their just amazing that
0: they're... people people can watch a film and, and you know, you and I will see, oh, this is about this. And someone else will just see the surface of it and go, oh, you know, yeah. and latch onto it. <laughs> well, I mean, God, I mean,
1: talk about uh, missing the messages. Of course, this film uh, just a couple of years ago, Got sort of picked up by the neo-Nazi group that's going on in this country as saying that this is John Carpenter's message about how how Jewish people control the world.
0: Uh. And yeah,
1: I know it's like, oh, guys, you know, it's like enough with the enough with the the Jew stuff. You know, like give it up. It didn't didn't, yeah. didn't, didn't we didn't we solve this? And it, it apparently it, it bubbled to such a pitch, uh, if I may mix my metaphors, that Carpenter had to come out and say that it is expressly not what it's about. <laughs> basically, you're all a bunch of assholes. Knock it off. That's not what the movie's about. And in fact, it's about the opposite of what you think it's about. Now, that isn't going to stop them because they're all a bunch of a-holes anyway, and they don't really care what Carpenter says. But I I feel bad that Carpenter had to sort of almost come out of like a retirement to kind of comment on it. It's like, come on, guys. That would be, I would guess, enormously frustrating to see one of your works recontextualized by a bunch of uh, jagoffs, you know, for their own ends, especially when Carpenter is the exact opposite of making that message. But I mean, you know, at the same time that shows you that for a movie that didn't do very well and just kind of got shuffled off into cable, this movie's had a long reach. I mean, uh, you know, Shepard Ferry took his Obey poster, which started his whole career from this. I mean, that's where he got his ideas from. And of course there was even an episode of, uh, south park of all things that featured uh, featured the the timmy the kid in the wheelchair getting into a fight with uh, jimmy another one of the crippled kids into and they get into this five minute fight on south park and i remembered i watched that show at the time and i watched that and i said boy this is weird this is almost like that scene in they live and then i went back on it later oh no they were expressly parodying it so you know i mean this movie sits in people's memories it's it's gone on i mean like like every almost every other John Carpenter movie in the 1980s, nobody appreciated it at the time, but then it, yeah. it burrows under people's skins and it's still around. And you know, I think I guess for Carpenter, that's got to be rewarding to know that you've created works of art that are lasting generations. At the same time, it might have helped to have made some money at the time. You know, made yeah. his career a little. These, if a couple of these had made a little more money.
0: Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's, uh.
1: it's it's, it's a, it is. It's really fun. Scuzzy little movie, and it, it's it's fun to watch Carpenter sort of at the tail end of his not the tail end because he came back and made some other movies, but I would argue uh, this is kind of his last
0: great really, film,
1: really great movie. Uh, I actually yeah. have I actually have some nice things to say about Memoirs of an Invisible Man. I think I'm the only person, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm
0: not going to join you for that. Okay, right,
1: fair enough. Uh, and 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 in the Mouth of Madness, I think has some nice things too. But after yeah. that, he, he went on the stretch of Village of the Damned and Escape from LA and Ghosts of Mars and that's there's some pretty yeah. rough, really rough stuff here. So this is They Live is really sort of his last big volley, and it really said it. It's a remarkable creative output for the for the guy. Ten, ten straight years of amazing work.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, too many of my um, probably top ten favorite <laughs> films are his. So real. What and were the some theme- of
1: the, like? What are some of the other ones?
0: Well, the thing I think I don't think anyone can touch the thing as a film. It's just like a yeah. perfect film. Yep. Um. You know, it. Everything about it is just wonderful. You know, the the tone, the creepiness, the effects, yep. the performances, um, the way you can just think about that film forever. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you can you can analyze it, pick it apart. You can think, oh, who became a thing at what point? You can do you know go know down that rabbit thing? hole. Do you do you know
1: that you know you're the thing? I yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You really can go on forever. You can go down that rabbit hole if you want.
0: to. Yeah. Um, Escape from New York. I I don't think it holds up particularly well today, um, but there's things about it which are amazing, and I think that one could be a really good remake. As far as you know, yeah. And uh, you know, it's got a president who's a douchebag, so.
1: <laughs> so the problem is, the problem is if you if you remake uh, Escape from New York today and the whole plot of rescuing the president, who's going to rescue the president at this point? <laughs> the president's yeah. plane has crashed in a in a demilitarized zone, and S- <laughs> <Yeah>. so <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Snake, we're not letting you out of prison this time. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, he said the guys. I, I agree. The thing, the thing is a movie we haven't gotten to on the show yet, and I it's one of those that I really want. to – When we get to it, I want to do it right because I just love that. I think that movie. Like you, I think a movie is perfect. I think it's like a really yeah. perfect horror sci-fi movie, and so the guy's awesomely talented, and he's still around. And you know, I uh, to kind of sign off here a little bit about we're just talking about Carpenter in general. Uh, like he seems someone completely out of step with modern, you know, corporate filmmaking. Uh, I just can't. I, can you picture him having to submit, you know, or or having to follow studio notes? You know, mm. from some from some studio hack who was born after he already was making the thing. I, I yep. can't picture John Carpenter doing that. And what I what I keep hoping for is that you'll get like a, a Quentin Tarantino or like a Guillermo del Toro to produce a John Carpenter movie to kind of like say, okay, let me use my commercial clout and get John Carpenter to make another movie. And just like, hey, yeah. John, you know, like Blumhouse, you know, yeah. Here, here's here's three million, make your movie. Make it how you want, you get final cut, and we will put it out as Quentin Tarantino presents John mm. Carpenter's whatever. And like that's what I keep hoping will happen. Uh because, you know, the guy is guy is just so good and he's still around. And he's still vital. He's on Twitter all the time. I mean, he's he's not like, you know, he's not like holed up in some dank, you know, room somewhere. He's out. He's doing concerts, he's doing his music. Yeah. So I mean, he's still a vital creative force, and it's just You know, I can see he just doesn't want to bother with the movie thing anymore. But, I mean, you know, there's lots of independent film getting made out there. Come on. Come on. Somebody give John Carpenter a gig. I mean, he's John Carpenter, for Pete's sakes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And let him do what he wants <laughs> Yeah,
1: let him do what he wants So, well, uh, Paul, thank you so much for, for doing this Again, we, we talked about, you know, getting together for a really long time And it, it, it was hard to schedule, obviously Because I said our schedules are just sort of strange But I'm glad we, we did this And I'm glad we got to talk about this movie Because it's, it's terrific So where can uh, people find you on the internet?
0: Uh, I tweet under the name reading underscore hicks Which is H-I-X um, But mostly I'm on Waiting for Doom, the podcast So uh, if you want to hear more of what I talk about um, and I, I try to weasel my way onto other people's shows occasionally. So <laughs> I finally ticked you off. Now next is Shag. So.
1: <laughs> That'll good luck. Interesting. Good luck with that one. I'll have to see how that goes. Uh, well, th- yeah, thank you so much. It was great. Finally get a chance to talk to you directly. So I've said before, it's it's a weird relationship you have with podcasters when I've heard your voice and you've heard mine, but we've never actually talked back and forth. So I'm glad we got a chance to do it. And they said They Live is a is a terrific movie. If there's anybody who hasn't seen it yet, go go see it. Go there's a great Blu-ray. From Shout Factory. So go go pick that up. It's a, it's a terrific movie. So, again, thanks so much for doing this.
0: Yeah, pleasure. Pleasure. I've got to go to the shops, uh, going down to the Submit to get some Obey for dinner. All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, as always, if you want to find back episodes
1: of this show, it's uh, back episodes. Is that a phrase? Uh, go to the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com, and we can talk about movies and stuff over on the Twitter feed at filmandwaterpod. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next week, that's a wrap. I have come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass oh. And I'm all out of bubble gum. Oh, shit. Oh. <laughs>